Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our Watch Club for Marvel's Moon Knight. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, my name's Steven with a V! Welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Marvel's Moon Knight, Episode 2, titled Summon the Suit. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and the MCU in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in a snap. Now, before we all hop on a bike with our wives we forgot about... And enjoy a nice bowl of lentil soup. Let me introduce you to the other personalities joining me today. First up, he's a Marvel nut who's taller than King Tut. He's the Egyptian jackal, Justin Lawrence. Good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling good, man. The moon's out tonight. Uh, we're back yeah. again. I'm excited. Uh, but listen, I need you to help me, Justin. Can you bring right. use your summoning powers right now? We're going to summon him. Okay. I feel like if I summon too hard, I might fart. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's actually what we need you to do. Uh, so <laughs> summoning in alongside him, let me clear my esophagus as he gets out of his sarcophagus. He's cooler than Conchu, but if you make fun of his mummy, he's not afraid to haunt you. He's Kevin the Crocodile Hudson. You know, a, a fart is the best way to, to draw me towards you. If you need my attention, <laughs> just rip a good one and I'm there. Beautiful. Wow. I mean, I've, I'll I, be there. I don't think there's any Egyptian <laughs> gods that deal with uh, flatulence, but maybe we just have to do more more research, I think. I think dung beetles maybe. are a thing, maybe, in, in Egypt. Oh, yeah. Knows? <laughs> Dude, if there's not a dung beetle god out there, let's, let's, start, let's start figuring it out. Um, maybe we develop a brand new one. Uh, well, blessings to you, fine gentlemen. Uh, let's get right into the story. This week, we kick off with a previously on followed by the traditional Marvel fanfare this week uh, and then right back into Stevie's bedroom uh, he's not accepting the idea that the previous night was a dream uh, and as he heads back to the museum he he tries to you know he tries to show JB the footage from the night before except it doesn't really help his case because that Egyptian jackal that he says is there is not anywhere on the footage. Uh, so then after a brief meeting with his HR department, he tracks down the central London storage facility where we see him finally learn more about Mark Spector and his connection to Khonshu, the moon god. So, guys, let's just kind of kick it off here. What did you think of this excellent acting sequence between Steven and Mark? Uh, yeah, no, this was this was a great way to sort of, um, again, just really hammer home the the difficulties that this character or these characters must be having. Um and especially as we get into the locker and he's discovering more about himself. This was really that Jason Bourne moment that I think you had referenced uh, maybe last week, Justin. It's, this is really where yeah. you get that impression. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun discovering more about this character as we go along. Yeah, I feel like, um, you, you know, I think I, I alluded to it in, in last week when we were talking about episode one, that it feels like there's a lot of questions being planted in episode one. And if all the questions are being planted in episode one, well, I think episode two definitely 
uh, reaches to answer some of those questions right off the bat. And, you know, again, even just how it's addressed that Mark Spector is the avatar of Kanju, I think that that's just addressed so quickly. You think that there would be some sort of moment or something framed around that sort of reveal. I appreciate, though, that they didn't need to do much to kind of explain that. It wasn't like, you know, as soon as he said that we flew into Stephen's eye and, and right. saw how it all went down, like yeah. heavy exposition. No, there's there's still questions around what happened, but they just get one piece of the question out of the way. I appreciated that it didn't waste any time. And I think I think that really works towards um, the feelings that, you know, obviously Steven's having in that moment. You know, he's not going to sit there and be like, oh, expound upon that. No, he's going to freak the, the, the frick out and, and start, you know, yelling and shouting. Um, I got to give a shout out to, to Oscar Isaac again here. Like, just seeing him discover his past as a mercenary, you can literally <laughs> see the, the fear and the disappointment in Steven's eyes as he's just like, because he feels like, what have I done? You know what I mean? Like, I st he still hasn't really fully accepted the idea that he's out of control in that moment. So it just sort of feels like that level of embarrassment, probably a similar feeling to what he felt um, when he was, you know, I guess two days late for for his date with the steak dinners last week. Yeah, um, I yeah. love the the dry British humor again, the, the moment of levity <laughs> during a, a pretty terrifying situation for Stephen where he's just like, I don't care how bloody handsome you are. Like, that was... <laughs> fantastic and again it just goes off that theme of of reflections and the fact that they are the same person and and i yeah. really enjoyed the creative blocking as well in this scene when they did the reflection off the gun it just the way that they sort of cut from moment to moment here is so fluid and they don't have to like it, it's it's not overly complicated it's just like oh there's a reflection there awesome let's use it, it it's it's really For well sure. done and and oscar's yeah. so good in these moments too to be able to portray both of these characters almost simultaneously for us. And, you know, it must be just such a violating feeling to to know that you're technically doing these things without having any control over your body, any control over your decisions. And so you can just, the fear is palpable and the and the the and just the lack of security that he must feel. And then it's balanced really nicely with just great physical comedy in the way he holds the gun as he's searching through the... <laughs> The yeah. Mr. Dress-Up Tickle Trunk there. It's like, oh, you know. Uh, so it's, it is just a really fine balance I think the show is finding between hitting on the elements of horror while also, you know, diving into this mystery and then giving us lots of chuckles and laughs along the way. Yeah, I think I think Oscar Isaac, in, even in these first two episodes, and, and we'll talk more about it, he, he's really establishing how each, you know, Stephen Grant and Mark Spector are different from one another you know it's more than just a british accent it is it is about the mannerisms right yeah. so i think that even in that that little moment that we had in this this storage locker with you know surrounded by mirrors it was so telling to see how he's really differentiating these two characters from one another totally um speaking of of differentiation or in, in this case i think lack thereof i think and, and this will come up a few times this episode for me i did feel like running down the hallway sequence you know, twice in a row, week to week, um, kind of showing almost even the same angles. It just, it did feel a little bit samey for me. And I, I do think that they're, you know, they could have come up with a way to make this episode a little more dynamic for its major set pieces. But again, I'll expound upon that a little bit later. Uh, let's keep going here. We get a very freaked out Steven running out of the room. He's like, I'm going to turn myself in as Mark Spector and, and just go away to jail. Um, and then after running away from from Conchu, um, you know, through, a, again, another flickering hallway, he runs into the street where we finally meet 
uh, the mysterious Layla from the phone uh, from last week. And, uh, he, you know, she pulls him up on the bike. And, you know, on the ride over, we discover that Layla is actually Mark's wife. And she knows about his past. And she knows about the suit. Um, you see that moment for Stephen, who I think one of my favorite parts in this sequence is she sort of pulls him in closer. He's holding on to her arms, just like, again, very characterized for this very nervous Stephen. Has never, probably never even been on a bike before. And so she pulls him in closer. And you see in his face, you know, he's clearly suffered from a lot of loneliness, never being able to go on proper dates. So the moment we see his hands go around Layla and she tells him they're married, you see this really great expression on his face of being able to hold someone and make that connection. And there's this sense of, I think familiarity there, which is cool to see because it it means that the the connection. This sounds really cheesy, but the connection of love lives through no matter what version of him there is, exactly. right? And it, yeah, it's no, really I, that beautiful. That totally makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense, and and especially when they get back to his flat. But you know, again, with that whole bike moment, it was funny how he when he realizes that she's his wife, yeah. he almost like kind of has a bit of a, a smile, like, oh my god. Yeah. Things do work out for me. <laughs> yeah, you know I what I mean? <laughs> yeah, even though he had nothing to do with it. Um, I, well, well, we'll get into that. I mean, you know, we get back to the apartment and we see Layla. She discovers a book by her favorite French poet. And Stephen claims mm. that it's his favorite as well. And then again, I think I think that's an aspect of like he remembered that because even though Mark didn't tell him, uh, you know, there's still that connection to her. And it's it's just so lovely. Um, and I just thought that it was really nice in terms of the way they interacted in these moments. I thought it was like it was kind of charming and, and, and refreshing. And I don't think we get too much of that uh, in our MCU between our, our love connections. Um, so what did you guys think of this introduction to our badass Layla? Well, yeah, like I think, you know, the, the whole scene at the flat really does just kind of highlight how Steven's persona or character if you will however you want to look at it is really built around the love and appreciation he has for Layla and and the interest that Layla has very much connect to the interest that that Steven has Um, Mm, and and that becomes like kind of this sort of running layer so it's almost as if the the best parts of Steven are actually really built out of you know again as you said the connection of love and the memories that that Mark has with Layla so I think that that's 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 very telling in this moment, especially as she's roaming and seeing all these things that would generally int- interest her, and she just doesn't believe it. She's like, yeah. "You're not the guy that I married." So yeah. it, it's 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 it was a very, uh, like you said, tender moment to see between these two characters. And, and maybe that's really what it's all about. There, right? Is that this this character mm-hmm. of Stephen is the version of himself that Mark can't give to Layla, right? And so it's it's exactly just, it's just finding those ways to. They obviously have a connection mm-hmm. in their other life um, that maybe centers more around adventure and and you know and that sort of idea. Whereas this is a far more intimate emotional connection. And again, you you pointed it out. This the reference to our adventures together. She says that answering yet seed planting. What were those adventures? Are we going to learn more about what that sort of looked like? Given the fact that the the scarab obviously has some sort of meaning to their time together, if you will. And I love that because it 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 very much reminds me of some of the better aspects of like Star Wars storytelling. The whole scene with Obi Wan just talking about you know um, t- you know rev- just quickly throwing away a line about the Clone Wars, 
and then the amount of stories that we got from that. So, you know, again, it, it's just kind of cool, again, the way that they're they're building out this story without necessarily having to just constantly talk about it. Now, there, there are some moments in the episode where we are going to get we are going to slow down quite a bit and it is going to be feel very dialogue exposition heavy um, but we're not there yet so listen after some touching and sad moments with steven struggling to convince layla that he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't remember their life together uh, and he doesn't want to divorce her layla discovers the scarab compass and freaks out at him until the police show up and almost find layla uh, but then they arrest steven and bring him to where he thinks he's going to jail but it turns out these aren't maybe they're real police officers and they're they're working for Harrow um, or they're not we, we, real police officers who are working for Harrow. Either way, we're brought to Harrow's compound where we learn that he makes uh, a wicked lentil soup. And uh, oh, also that he was also Conchu's previous avatar. Uh, guys, what did we think of the reveal that Harrow knows Conchu way more intimately than we uh, than we thought? Uh, I feel like this is like the the onion slowly peeling its layers it's another layer to to arthur's character that we 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 now understand also given that in the last episode we open with him putting shards of glass in his shoes right like there's a deep connection to uh, a sort of suffering a trauma that arthur uh, sort of is weaponizing as a means of revenge I feel like so it, it kind of in a way lays the groundwork for Arthur's motives or at least answers some of those questions again answering some leaving other things ambiguous in, in, in some cases yeah the, the thing I keep telling myself in a show like this is that they're they're taking a story that maybe they could cram into a two and a half hour long movie and instead they're giving it to us over three and a half maybe four hours of a television show and so that 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 does tend to at times make the the plot seem to slow down a little bit, but I think it's important, especially with a character who, uh, you know, even you know, I, I we still at this point know so little about and understand so little mm-hmm. about how it works that taking all the time they need to sort of you know devolve this information and, and share it with us, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, and it really is yes, it's a very frightening idea to see the sort of reach that Arthur has, the how far it extends, how how much of a, a network he's sort of built here to uh, enable him to do whatever it is he's set out to do here. Uh, you know, he's he's got a lot of tools at his disposal, if you will. Yeah, and, and the idea that he was, he was uh, the avatar to a god and he has amassed a following as a god, as Arthur Harrow, uh, you know, I, I think that that speaks volumes about his character and the sort of his journey. You know, again, it's more to unravel about him, but it's a great call out, Kevin, that you need to sometimes slow down. I appreciated that while this feels very heavy handed in terms of exposition, this this moment between them, it, it, it needs to be there because it gives more context to both of these characters. Yeah, I, I, I do get what you're saying. I do think that um, that this was a great way to connect the hero and the villain together in a way that, again, adds more ammunition to Harrow from a, you know, from a standpoint of like, hey, I know what you're going through, man. It's it's okay. I've been there. And that makes sure. him even yeah. more unsettling. Um, I got a lot of from the from the cult. I got a lot of like Flag Smashers vibes in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, yes. Where just like we're a collective trying to make the world a better place. Um, I did feel like 
Harrow's justification for child murder didn't really work. I felt like a lot of his motivations were very fuzzy, and I, I did feel like, again, just the explanations we were getting from him didn't didn't really like it wasn't very clear to the point where I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I don't mean I don't think that's a way for them to draw more mystery out as to like why is he doing this. I think it just wasn't well thought out the way that he he kind of described it. Sure, but it's also it reminded me of Winter Soldier with the Zola initiative or the Zola algorithm that was supposed to be programmed in the fighters that were supposed to uh, analyze people to decide if they were a threat to the bigger picture and eliminate them. Mm -hmm. Here we have a similar sort of motive where Emmett will seek out the evil and and understand at its root and and pluck that out. It, it, again, it's, it seems like a bit of a theme that runs throughout. I, I think you could even connect some of that back to Thanos's big ba big plan of, of eliminating half of, of, of the population. But I, again, I think that there's a thematic element here that does feel familiar while just a, it's a new approach. But yeah. How do you justify murdering children? Like that's just, no. and you know, the thing is, is <laughs> can't do that. But the thing is, is that it came to a resolution of, I'm just going to slam my big purple glowing stick into the ground. And that's where it kind of lost me a little bit where I was just like, you're, you're so smart. You're so, you're such a, a very collected person. And then you, you just do this. I'm, I'm mad. And you <laughs> slam something into the ground. It just kind of lost me a little bit, but I, I did want to just quickly bring up the instance of purple magic again. Yes. Uh, and this is kind of our first connection to the MCU at large. We talked last week and in our preview show, how really distant this feels from the MCU. This is the first thing that I saw that I was like, I was doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing at the screen as a Marvel fan, like, oh, that's the purple magic. Um, so what did you guys think of, of this connection to our MCU? Well, I, I, I think we had discussed it when we saw the trailer, but we saw the, the clip of a pyramid and, and purple magic shooting oh, true, out. Oh, true, 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 yes. Again, yes. reminiscent of, of course, Agatha. But I think that even Agatha's magic is ancient. And I think it's rooted in a in a darkness, and and I think that that's very much mm. probably in some ways aligned and tied to the magic powers that that Arthur Harrow has at his disposal. They're they're ancient, and they're probably a bit more of the dark magic side. To your point, it's nice that they're creating a visual language or a visual aesthetic to to this magic uh, in its appearance, because when we see it, you don't do that and not think that oh intentionally fans are going to draw the parallels right so if we see it come up again it may be rooted in a character with other magic powers it's interesting that you point that out i think it, the aspect of being ancient though i mean stuff from the camartage is pretty ancient and it's not necessarily purple but i guess maybe when you combine but that it's not with bad right you combine it with the evil side of things Maybe right. that's where we start to see that a little bit more. I'm wondering if 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 when we finally do get to start seeing some real dark hold magic being used, if it's not going to be red, if it will be purple coming from Wanda. Because well, we got we got three instances of magic. Yeah. If we think about it, we have, as you said, the the the, the Montage. We have chaos magic, which is obviously uh, Wanda's magic, yeah. and then we have this purple magic that evident that it's in you know people of using magic in a, in a dark manner. So mm. again, I'm not, I'm not saying that is it. I'm just saying it's interesting though, that we see this show up yet again in, in a, uh, a character that is obviously a villain. Totally. Yeah. And when you're, when you're using magic for the purpose of 
death or for manipulating the soul and and maybe those darker those darker elements uh that's where this purple thematic coloring will sort of come into play uh, i think it's going to be a huge theme throughout a lot of of phase four here interesting mm -hmm. interesting purple i mean i do like the color purple uh so then layla shows up and she's got the scarab compass uh and harrow asks for it back but she refuses and then he uses his staff uh, to show just a sliver of, of Amit's power, which is uh, to say he uses his, his purple magic to summon another jackal creature. Layla and Steven then end up in yet another fight with this creature. And even though Layla can't see it, she she pretty much holds her own. Um, so, guys, what did you think? You know, we, we get this moment where we get um, our first look at Steven as Moon Knight, or in this case, Mr. Knight. What did you think of the, the Mr. Knight suit reveal, as well as this showdown and, and sort of final blow between Mark and the Jackal? Well, we have a distinctive look for Stephen Grant as Moon Knight, right. and it's Mr. Knight. And I think that that's very telling and, and very, you know, not only are, is, is there a, a difference in character between Stephen and Mark based on, you know, their, their characteristics. Here we have that represented in, in the appearance of Moon Knight. And I think that that's, that's cool, right? I think they're, you know, leveraging that in, 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 in upcoming episodes is going to be really interesting to see. And we'll know based on those costumes, who's, who's doing what, right? So I think that that's, that's also a lot of fun to, to kind of do, but fucking dapper, really dapper suit. <laughs> he looked real good. Love it. He looked real good. Oh, he looks great. I love the lapels on the jacket. It's a it's a spiffy look for sure. <laughs> I like how uh, um, Mark calls him uh, Psycho Colonel Sanders. So I was like, yeah. That's... <laughs> There's a bit of a, a Colonel Sanders vibes. But, you know, when we saw Mr. Knight in the marketing for the show, he looks so badass. And I, I, you know, I did a little bit of researching into the comics to understand, like, okay, what is that? What is the difference here? What are we looking at? And he's he's definitely traditionally a debonair, very suave, very, you know, like calculated character. So I kind of, I was a... I, I'm, I'm of two minds of this, much like uh, Steven himself, I guess. Like, I, I, I really wanted him to be, like, a cool badass. But then you see him do that superhero landing and then fall sideways. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, this is just Stevie. This is just bumbling little Stevie here in, in a cool suit. Um, which, again, I think both works for and, and against, I guess, my expectations of what I wanted from the character. Well, and uh, mm. I mean, I'm not going to claim to at all be uh, that familiar with the, the comic book uh, version of of Moon Knight and the, the various other characters we're getting here. But I think just from the little bits that I've read and tried to pick up on, this feels like the first real deviation from the source material in terms of mm -hmm. what these characters are all supposed to represent here. I, um, I think uh, Mr. Knight is still very much... Um, a persona of of Mark just for different purposes than the Moon Knight persona has. Whereas here it almost seems like they're splitting them between Mark and Steven. And so I am so curious to know um, if this is, if they are really going to branch out and, and sort of change a lot of the story and how fans are going to react to this. Well, it's interesting because this whole, this whole fight sequence really does establish Steven coming into the hero's role, not Mark, right? Really about Steven, because where Mark comes shows up at the end of last episode to save Steven, here Steven is fighting for himself and embracing the power, embracing this. So it is a bit of a, um, 
a showcase of how S- Steven is coming into his own and mm-hmm. accepting whatever whatever he doesn't understand about what what he has inside of him um so and i thought that that was really great especially you know you said it at the top his little line about you know float like a butterfly sting like a bee i am steven with with the the bee bee. (laughs) yeah it's awesome i love it and and again until until he gets uh his ass handed to him and he's got to call in the big guns and i did love that moment where he does get thrown up against the bus and you just see you just see mark with his arms crossed just like you freaking you done like you're done here you're done trying to prove your point <laughs> he said you got to you got to punch him that was a good punch like he gave him credit yeah right like he gave him credit he's like wow i i didn't expect that and again another little moment that helps to identify how these two characters are so separate from one another yeah i did i did think like i think my only negative with this this sequence um it 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 was both the highlight and the another part of the negative for me in this episode just in the sense that again another big jackal confrontation moment granted they added enough with bringing in mr knight for sure um but i just i didn't feel like there was an it it did feel a little too samey as your your big action set piece again a second week in a row um mm. i will say though th- when he stabbed when he stabbed that guy through the spike, that was badass. Oh, and seeing it so curled good. back in the moonlight, it was it, I like I can imagine. I'm sure there's a comic book cover out there somewhere of literally that that exact angle of the the jackal just tilt like curled up like a dead animal. Uh, I, I thought that was phenomenal. Very very worldwide wrestling. Uh, by the way, Kevin, I think did you did you enjoy that? What would uh, that be not, called? There's in not wrestling? a lot of impaling in wrestling. No, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> maybe behind the scenes. Maybe I don't no. know. Yeah, that, <laughs> oh. that's the dark side of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do wonder though. Would you have preferred a different type of obstacle here, or yeah, maybe? I mean, but what if this this is the go to of Arthur Harrow? That's you know this is. Give us a giant. This is what he has at his disposal. This is what he has at his disposal. I'm sure. Give us a giant scarab. Give us something. I'm sure there could have been. There could have just been a little something to make it a little more dynamic than the same villain we got a week later. Ah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I would have to. I'd have to agree. But I, I think that the the problem too is that these are separate episodes from one and two. Mm -hmm. Where to me, this feels, and maybe it's because I watched them back to back. They feel like they are like the same, right? Like if these first two episodes were dropped together, you know, then it wouldn't necessarily feel like, oh, didn't I just watch this last week? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, again, I think it reveals, cause I, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't assume based on last week's episode that, um, that Arthur was the one that sent that jackal in. I was like, how did that jackal get in? There? Okay. And now here we have that affirmation that this is what, his powers can do. They can release the spirits of demons that can interact with obviously Mark because he is of on that spirit side of the world where, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the fact that she can't see this jackal only, only heightens the idea that whatever is, is happening to Mark and this and Conchu being, you know, controlling him and what Arthur has at his disposal. It's very like it's in the ether. Mm hmm. I don't know if like it's it's just it, you know it's happening, but no one can really see it happening, right? right? So like it was crazy to see the street fight happen and you know cars getting smashed, but there's obviously nothing. So right. it's like whoa. <laughs> well, and that's very much how we were for the first week. We knew things were happening, but we didn't see any of it. And this episode is sort of their chance to show us 
what that action might have looked like or, or might look like. And so I, I do think that, yeah, this is just our chance. We didn't really see much of that confrontation in the first week between between Mark yes. and the Jackal. And so this is our chance to see it. So that's why it probably doesn't, it's not hitting me as just more of the same because it's 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 from a different almost well, perspective that we're getting now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, then we, we see uh, Mark has definitely lost the scarab and uh, Harrow kills a homeless person who finds it. He does the whole like holding his hands thing and then says, I wish you could see the world we built, which like he didn't do the scales thing. So I'm just like, is he, I guess he's just cool just killing off people before actually uh, knowing if they're good or bad. Um, so clearly he is a villain. But we, we get our first look uh, in this next scene here uh, at Mark for the first time in the real world and not through a reflection. And then we see Steven is now in the reflection or in the mirror uh, after giving him full control. And, you know, he hates it. But he, you know, before he can complain too much, Mark maniacally kicks in the mirror quieting that voice we then see Khonshu threaten Mark saying his next avatar would upset him given how close mm. he is to her uh, and obviously alluding to Layla uh, and then after some convincing we get the final scene and reveal of Mark drinking next to a cracked mirror at a hotel room in Cairo so guys what did you think of this final sequence and exchange between Stephen, Mark and then also with Khonshu I think it's it's just again uh, another chance. I they you know as as long as this doesn't become something they hammer on too much, because then it will be something that I'm sure you'd be able to nitpick and say. I think we've been here a few too many times, but <laughs> oh, because yeah. it's oh, because yeah. it's a flip of the script, and it is that first time we're getting. It's once again that first time we're getting that other perspective. It is it it carried some weight, um, and yeah, it's it's uh, Stephen feeling fear it's almost like he's in a different world, right? That must, another, just, is, this yeah. guy's having a rough couple days. This is a lot to process in a short amount of time, I think. Well, it's funny because he calls out the fact that he can scarcely move, right? Like he is confined to whatever that mirror can see because he, whatever is on the other side is obviously his own reflection and, and so on. But I, I agree with you, Kevin. I think that th this does set up an interesting precedence moving into episode three, given the fact that we have now transitioned from Stephen Grant from the last two episodes now into Mark Spector, who is supposed to be this mercenary killer. And, you know, there's the, he's he seems like he's more in control than 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 Stephen. So it, it's 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 a nice sort of flip here to introduce what will be episode three. But I think I think his him being more in control, sure. But we do see him lose it here, right? With when he when he kicks in that mirror, I just thought it was really cool to see that. You know, again, we're connecting the character of Mark and Stephen closer together by showing that no, you know what, Mark doesn't have it all together. Even though he says he's been doing this for a long time, he he he's also extremely frustrated by the other voices that are inside his head. A hundred percent. And I think that that's where it feels real. Like this is this disassociative disorder showing its full fledged, you know, manifesting itself, not in the in the form of Moon Knight or, or just Conchu. It's it's him confronting his own demon, his own personality, this other half that that compels him to to be alternative to to what he wants to be. So I think that in this moment. It, it it does really highlight how this is a disorder that he is dealing with, and then I, I do like how they they did they did in in like a single line of dialogue where Conchu says you were nothing but a corpse when I found you. 
it's cool. Again, they're appeasing uh, the origin story for the character without even having to show it at all uh, and giving us enough background in a single line. I thought that was really well done. And you also exactly. just, you, it, they double down in this moment as well where you get a sense of just the feeling of, of being trapped. And Mark and Steven and how they feel, you know, Steven trapped in the mirror, followed right up by Mark feeling trapped and even blackmailed by Khonshu, right? Where we, we it, it's just such a great way to hammer home that theming for this character overall. And just how, again, they're just, they're trapped. Like it's, ugh, it was, it was good stuff. And, and you brought up, you brought up a really great point. It is, I am almost finding it surprising that they aren't relying on flashbacks to tell this story. I kind of. I love it based on love what it. we were, what I had known about the character going in, and then even the little tidbits we got. I figured it would it would be happening, but I think it would be happening already if that was the direction they were going to go. So they are, it's a, it's a kind of a unique take for them to be telling this this origin story through just single lines of dialogue throughout each episode. And that's why I think again, it, this episode handles exposition very well, in that it does give you answers to some things while leaving mysteries around others. So it's just it's it's it was good. It was a good way to get us sort of more invested. If you're not invested in it, you think it was too heavy-handed, then I don't know. It's just again, like you said, Kevin, we need to sometimes slow down before we can speed up to really appreciate the nuances of characters, especially when we have characters like Mark, Stephen, Conchu, and now Layla. Right. And, and, and Arthur Harrow. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just it all has to mix together or else we find ourselves in a messy situation where we're like, OK, well, what? How did that get to there? And, and didn't he say this? Like, I just think that, again, everything is being layered in nicely. Hmm. Well, uh, let's let's layer in our our final overall impressions of the episode and our final score. Uh, we're going to be rating on this this week. We're going to be rating the episode on a scale of one to five bowls of lentil soup and uh kevin i'm actually gonna get you to go first this time uh yeah i'll jump i'll jump in absolutely i i thought this was an excellent follow-up to to the first episode in that um i liked i I know i mentioned last week how they didn't show us any of the the big action sequences and so in this Mm -hmm. that's what this episode was really for we sort of got Mm -hmm. a brief introduction to the character last week whereas here we're getting a brief introduction into the kind of action that we can expect when this character is involved. And it was even fun that we got it from two very, very different uh, perpetrators of said character. And so, yeah, I thought they kept it really, really fresh in that regard. Um, I never minded when it slowed down to sort of briefly explain what the hell is going on, because I think this is a bit more complicated than a lot of the characters we've gotten before. And so I do think it's going to take a little bit more time to sort of explain and, and, and yeah, just sort of define what the rules are, how they work, and how we should expect them to be played. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it did uh, more than enough to get me excited. This was sort of, if we're a third of the way through here, I can't wait to see where we go next. Uh, I, and I think it did also a really great job of building up our villain here, really explaining what we we should be afraid of for our beloved characters going forward. And so right. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick right to where I was last week. I think it was a solid. This almost should have been a part one and and part two released at the same time, just to sort of fully flesh out that introduction. Um, but uh, that would be my only gripe about it in that regard. And so yeah, I'm gonna stick right where I was last week. 
I'm going to give this 4.4 out of 5 bowls of lentil soup. All righty. Nice. Delicious. Justin. Nice. Yeah, I'm with Kevin. I, I enjoyed the, how this episode really doesn't waste any time at trying to answer the questions, and it, it does it flawlessly, as we've already said numerous times. The exposition, I think, is handled properly. Uh, it it answers questions while leaving uh, mysteries to still be unraveled. I, I love how we get to see more action, and as Kevin pointed out, versus last week's uh, episode, where the action was sort of like a, a phase that just sort of happened and went. Uh, you know, we we got to see that, and and the mystery around that action has now been revealed uh so I, I enjoyed that part too and you know again people may find the exposition heavy-handed but that's gonna happen like like we're gonna we're gonna find points where we need to be ex- this information needs to be explained and again i go back to the reference of you know when when mark reveals that he is the avatar to Konshu, like I could have seen like a whole dream sequence where his they go into his eye and it's all done in sand and it shows how he was consumed by Conchu and then we just get that story out of the way. No, it was just a throwaway line. It was who this is who this character is. Boom, let's move on to the next part. And I, I think that if that's what the rest of this series is going to deliver, I think they're handling it properly. Um, and, and I think that, that that really is a standout. Um, I think this establishes Steven in his own right, becoming his own hero. Uh, and I love that at the end here, we flip it to Mark. And now we are we have Mark running the show. So it's going to be interesting to see how the episodes move forward with with Mark uh, kind of steering steering control. All that to say, uh, I'm with Kevin. I'm giving the, the same score as I did last week. Uh, I'm giving it a four out of five delicious, delicious bowls of lentil soup. Yeah. Mm. Um, you're going to have to give me the recipe, by the way, if you have it, um, for the lentil soup. I This episode for me was a little bit, a little bit weaker uh, than last week's premiere. Um, I had I had a much more scathing thing to say, but as we've been talking about it, honestly, I'm maybe I, I, I didn't quite remember it right or just the way that we've been kind of talking about these moments has kind of gotten me understanding it a little bit more and I, I do think I, I get it I, I just think that from a standpoint of a formula having and I and trust me you don't have a lot of episodes I understand so you need to slow down at some point it's just when you get to an episode two right off of an episode one I feel like the general consensus is people want that momentum. They want that. They want things to pick up in the second episode and maybe dip in the third. So it, it just felt a little unconventional for me from what I'm used to. Um, but that being said, you're absolutely right with the with the moments with Steven and getting to see him be you know kind of come into his own. I think I really enjoyed the beginning. A uh, few scenes of this episode and the final few scenes of this episode, and it was just some of the stuff with Harrow, where where the explanation started to feel fuzzy, um, a little bit too much talking, and 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 then just ending with big purple stick VFX uh, jackal again, just kind of took me out of it uh, a little bit, and I could see I can see how the general MCU audience, um, if I can align myself with them might feel as well that this episode is not the pace that they would hope for. Um, because at the end of this episode, I will say, and this is where it, it does knock me down a little bit from last week, I didn't feel like if we were watching this week to week that I'd want to be like, let's, next week, let's go right now. Like, I didn't get that, especially from the ending of this episode. I was kind of like, 
cool. He's in a hotel. Um, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes. I'm not, but I wasn't like frothing at the mouth with where they ended it. I think it has a lot to do with with the pacing of the episode itself. Um, for me, I'm in a, but I will again, as much as I was initially jumping in here, like three and a half bowls, I'm going to do four out of five bowls of lentil soup just based off our discussion. You guys turned me around a little bit. Yeah, I, I like again, I, I get where you're coming from with the general audience wanting there to be a an, a, a decent amount of pacing that is is conducive to, to the sort of excitement of, of the series and, and learning these things. But I also think that 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 comes off of this expectation of WandaVision or even something like Loki to a certain degree. Right. But like especially WandaVision, where it was like every week it was like, what is going to happen next? And I, I honestly believe that that works for some stories that doesn't work for all stories. Right. So if if we're coming into these these new series, which are albeit brand new and each are suppo- supposed to feel somewhat different from one another, I think we need to suspend our disbelief to kind of understand that they are still trying to tell a story here in their own way that doesn't feel like it's it needs to be structured or 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 boxed in by expectation that fans have it's like let's let's roll with this let's let's see where we we get to the at the end of the season or you know at the end of the series to see what how it really kind of hit but i get you like you know the the fun ride of wandavision was like i cannot wait for next week's episode and and yeah i'm i'm excited to see the story for next week's episode uh for for the audience to see it but yeah was i like foaming probably not see and so maybe it's just the the history nerd in me, but uh, the idea of, of going to Cairo and, and getting uh, a Marvel-based uh, uh, story in Cairo, you know, especially when you consider the last time uh, a comic book movie uh, t- took place in Cairo, um, it, it, uh, it also had Oscar Isaac, and it sucked That's really, really yeah. bad. So um, <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready for a comic book movie to do Egypt right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, uh, Justin, are you looking at me? Look at me. We got to get better at this each week. Look at me. Okay. I'm transferring my power over to my personal deity, Justin the Egyptian Jackal, to let you know how you can reach us. Oh, you can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram at wearegeekcentric. Sorry, I, I kind of farted. No, I was that process is that, of transferring. So we're just we're just a bunch of dung beetles over here, you guys. That's all we are. Um, keep in mind we have a ton of other episodes, uh, including our recent spoiler-free reviews for Judd Apatow's The Bubble, uh, as well as our spoiler-free review for Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which is in theaters this Friday. Friday uh, for for wide release. Uh, And speaking of everything everywhere all at once, Justin also had the chance to sit down with the Daniels who directed the movie and that interview is available now. So definitely go give that a listen. Uh, And lastly, we also have our weekly This Week in Geek episodes where we break down the latest trailers and news every single Wednesday with our latest episode out now where we discuss the return of dinosaurs and 
our thoughts on the official runtime for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which, as a PSA, you can get your tickets for right now if you haven't already. And I mean, if you haven't already, uh, you, you might not get the best seats, but best of luck to you. Maybe you have to travel through a multiverse uh, to get those tickets, but uh, make sure to subscribe to us uh, so you can get all that geeky goodness. Uh, Justin, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, Later, skaters. skaters.